2: Hello, and welcome to the podcast, The Nature and Countryside Podcast from BBC Countryfile magazine. My name is Fergus Collins, and I'm the host of this podcast. So this is season 9, where we're exploring spring in 12 different wild landscapes and habitats across Britain. And in episode 6, we head to the island of Seal in the Inner Hebrides to walk with poet Kenneth Stephen as he explores early spring in an ancient hazelwood before roaming down to a loch for a very special encounter with some unusual creatures. Kenneth also treats us to one of his wonderfully evocative poems about the landscape called The Glen. And later, I'm joined by the podcast team of Jack and Hannah to reflect on our spring wildlife adventures so far and delve into the podcast postback. For now, though, enjoy a lyrical ramble on a wild Scottish island.
0: I'm just coming in to what is one of the oldest hazel woods in Scotland? I'm not quite sure how you measure the age of hazel woods, but never mind. I shall believe the statistic, the story, and as well as being one of the oldest woods in Scotland, it is—it happens to be one of the finest places on the Isle of Seal, in my view, in our view, because I know that both Christina and I love it very much. And I've come here really with the intention, I wanted to enter the edge of the wood as quietly as possible, in order not to disturb the wildlife that I know is, is here. I haven't come to find anything specific although I do know that this ancient hazel wood happens to have many rare lichens within it and I have little doubt rare species otherwise mammals and birds and part of the reason for that if not most of the reason is that it is really almost impenetrable woodland. I'm looking at it now and I want to seek to give some kind of impression at this point of exactly where I am. And I will do so in just a little moment. I'm walking through past some single hazelnut trees where I come every autumn for a harvest of of nuts, and I'm looking across to the beginning of the Hazelwood proper. I'm on the east side of the Isle of Seal, the Middle East, so to speak, and one of the reasons I've come is because, and chosen it, is because I know how how quiet it is, having been here with Christina on many occasions, to enjoy it. And I'm going to stop for a little bit just to try to get my own bearings and to offer some kind of sense of what I'm seeing around me because it's a truly beautiful, beautiful place. I've said that I'm in the middle part of the east coast of Seal. I may be a little further to the south but that's academic, it doesn't matter greatly. To get here I have to come down from the church on the island past a beautiful little round lochen and I must mention the fact that I saw the mute swans there appear that doubtless will be nesting in the weeks and months to come as the spring progresses. It's almost like ravens in the Tower of London it's a necessity that there must be mute swans on this loch it's almost round and there's a little stream running out of it through to the sea so just behind me over a little rise is what i would describe as a creek and a lovely stream that leads to it actually at one time that was industrialised it was a little there's a little bit of industrial archaeology here because although it looks like ancient workings now, there's very little machinery left, there's very little evidence of the work that must have gone into the creation of it, there was some kind of a salmon, an early salmon farm. So the salmon were brought up that stream and I presume kept in the lochen, perhaps fattened, um, before being fished. I'm not sure. I'm thin on that story so I had better not say more. But it's a beautiful location where I sit right in front of me. I have an edge of the lochen and I have this little, it's more than a burn, uh, would be described as a burn in Scotland. It's a full stream coming out of it and possibly the sound of the water is is picked up in it. I don't know. Often there's wonderful uh, bird life on on that lochen apart from the mute swans. And here then, between the Lochen and the sea, is this beautiful little area. A copse, bit of woodland, rocky woodland with wonderful mosses, the catkins on the hazel trees at the moment, a lot of sheep's wool earlier on. Before I started my piece of recording, I was catching the noise deliberately of some of the of the ewes, waiting to lamb fairly soon now, I suppose. No lambs yet. And on these bushes, um, great swathes of wool. so obviously they come here, lie here at night and it's they have their scratching posts. It's still very much locked in winter despite the catkins in the hazels. There's a bit of green coming. and as I was walking along to make the recording today, I was looking at the first buds in the trees. Having a conversation too with a robin up in one of the highest boughs of a tree. I love their freestyle song and obviously their singing and conscious of the mating game as March begins and progresses and the spring comes. Then, what I have to say, go back to my description. So I have ahead of me the lochen, the river... The stream running out of that, and then on the far side, on the far side of that, a whole long, what would you describe it as? A whaleback, really, of a rock, a spine of rock, that extends for perhaps as much as three quarters of a mile. To use old measurements, I'm not, I'm not a kilometre man. Perhaps three quarters of a mile of thick hazel wood and ancient Hazelwood. And there are some signs of life about it now. I would dearly love to go into it sometime and walk it. We have friends who have, who have made the entire walk. On the other side of it, it's on the, if you imagine that spine of rock, and against it, on the far side of it, is the sea, the east coast of the Isle of Seal. There is a path, Um, we have it in good authority, there's a path, and friends of ours have, intrepid friends have walked the length of the wood. It's absolutely infested with ticks. Not a particularly nice subject for what is meant to be centred on wildlife all the same, but not an aspect of wildlife that we are particularly fond of. None of us. And I may actually try to go into a little bit of the wood. I've never managed it thus far, partly because of these stories of takes. We have had in this part of Scotland a most tremendous winter, as there has been um, in many parts of, of England too, um, and beyond. It's been a spectacular winter as we all know. And here, very unusually, we had many degrees of frost for quite a few nights. Wonderful, wonderful days sparkling blue and white and many degrees of frost but almost too cold to walk on and my hope is I have heard that part of the reason that ticks are such a problem at the moment now is because of the mild winters mild winter after mild winter when ticks are able to survive and multiply So my hope is that um, a fair few of the little beasts will have been wiped out by the cold that we have experienced in in these last last weeks of January and February. What I want to say more about this place and what makes it special to us, I suspect that many people coming here know nothing about it. What's also special about it is that there was very early settlement of it. So, out there to the south of me are islands that effectively lie between us and the north coast of Northern Ireland. And that segment of water, not many miles wide was an absolute thoroughfare. It's pretty quiet now, but it was a thoroughfare for little boats, for curras and for coracles. Well, probably not coracles, but certainly curras, which were bigger traditional craft in the high days of the Celtic Christian Church. There is an island just a mile or two off to the south of Seo um, called Ilha Neuv. Eilich and how do you translate it? Well, roughly, very roughly, as the holy island, the holy islet. And holy it most certainly was. A generation before St Columba came, travelled from Northern Ireland and came to Iona, off straight west from where I'm standing now, um, out beyond the Isle of Mole. A whole generation before Columba came, Brendan, Saint Brendan, was there and set up beehive cells and had a retreat, some kind of some kind of, of, of holy place, sanctuary, call it what you will, um, for, for his, his band of, of monks. But where I'm standing to is also Brendan's place. We often, Christina and I, often call this Brendan's Creek. That's the name that we prefer for it. Because behind me, as I have outlined, where the stream that comes from the little lochen cuts its way through to the east side of Seal, um, and south of it, the hazel wood extends. That's a little cutting, and he would have landed there, doubtless, brought in his boat or boats, And over the hill from me, over this tiny little hill with its hazel trees, are, if you like, the imagined rubble of an early settlement made by Brendan and his followers. We don't know why he chose this place, but he was, there was always a necessity for wherever these monks went in the early days. And this was in the 500s AD at some point, so a generation before Columba. And I never remember exactly the year that Columba came to Iona. The 500s, the mid-500s or later 500s AD. Brendan came here with his men and had a, a very early created a very early monastic monastic settlement. While I was coming here today, the best laid plans of Mice and Men, which I have waxed about lyrically enough in recent time in, in, in my recordings, a kind of doffing my hat to Robert Burns, whose day it was not many weeks back. Now I'm going up the little hill past a Flock of Sheep, I'm going, heading really east I suppose, so with the lochen behind me so that I can look down on what we have tenderly christened Brendan's Creek to see if I can see anything by way of wildlife. I know that without doubt there will be otters here, there are otters round all of our coast and indeed in the very village where, where we live, occasionally, tragically they are they are killed on the road because one of their worst enemies is the car. I've no doubt that the otters come here in here to fish and that there is good fishing. Hearing a little bit more and what I'm wanting to catch is some sense of the of the bird life in this place. Because every time I I come, we come to to Brendan's Creek, we're aware of of the wonderful, the plethora of of birdsong around us. And I want to capture just a little bit of that. One or two boats out on the open water and a heron, a heron magnificently taking off, sadly not making any sound, so you have to take my word for it. Just passing that boat, I probably scared it, even though I'm trying hard to be as quiet as I can so that really in that Native American way, I can draw wildlife and birdlife to me. What I love is—it is feels—it feels, it feels a, a very special place, a very safe place, a sanctuary, almost one could say, um, a sacred place. So that I, I find it fascinating that places have memory, and whatever it was precisely that Brendan and his monks came to create here um it it's as though something of the spirit of, of the place lingers within the very soil. It feels a very very safe and very gentle gentle place. And it could easily be having explored, having been to various corners of the West and the North of Ireland, this is South Argyle. North Argyll is famed for its sharp escarpments, its high hills, its mountains even. But the further south you travel on the coast of Argyll, the gentler it becomes. And I love its gentleness, I love the places within it. Here in this part of Argyll, they talk about naps of land. I'm not even quite certain how nap is spelt. And really that ridge that I was describing, which has the one of the oldest hazel woods in Scotland on it, the one that is now to my left as I come back up towards the loch, trying not to disturb the, the grazing sheep. That ridge, that hump, that hummock, call it what you will, of stone that heads south um, is really a nap. I'm, I suspect that would be... What it would be described as, and all of that is covered with the with the hazel wood, and two two mallard just flying overhead, and very obligingly doing so too. That was rather lovely timing. Crows scrawling around me as well. It's quite big. that this was I wasn't intent on coming to find one specific thing. Seal is really we have realized seal is quite bare when it comes to wildlife. I've already mentioned the the king of wildlife, if I can call the otter the king. We certainly are, are blessed with many, many otters. But apart from that, there isn't really a great deal, certainly when it comes to mammal life. I think that I too saw a red squirrel, was lucky enough to see a red squirrel in the trees opposite us very early on. But subsequently, in the subsequent years, there has been nothing squirrel-wise. We think that we may have seen a pine marten when we came over the bridge very late one evening but on the other hand it could have been a mink because we have any number of them around our coasts, as well as the as well as the beautiful and beloved musterlands the otters but as far as i'm aware there are no foxes on the island we have plenty of deer or a good few deer um two of which sleep in a little glade at the back of our garden and something that i have talked about before So there are perhaps, I don't know, half a dozen or more deer, depending on how many come across the bridge or even swim across, because I've talked to people who've seen them, uh, seen stags swimming over to the island. But apart from that, we are just very aware of how little in the way of wildlife there is on the island. Probably we're not doing as well as we should be um, to, to seek it out to To find it, and that it is there, and I'm just sitting here, crouched here almost trying to be make myself as indistinct as possible, and perhaps it's a sign that that's that I'm successful in that that the the user around me, a pied wagtail plodding about, tapping about um in this little bit of meadow beside me. But nothing more than that. And I'm going to go I'm going to go down take the recorder with me and see go down towards the Lochen and see what I can one see on it. What I am hearing from from up at one of the houses and I'm almost certain that will be caught on by the recorder is the sound of, of hounds barking at one of the one of the houses that I passed to come down the steep track to to the wood. Two Robins having a conversation with one another, perhaps arguing already about territory and about and about sight. Very wet now the ground here. Just as I come down to the beautiful the beautiful stream that I have described. And here on both sides I can see actually although there's no, as I said before, There's no industrial equipment to show the remains of what was. There are large boulders. You can see the, I suspect, man-shaped, human-shaped boulders that lie on either side that have created... um, Well, today it's certainly a very beautiful stream and quite deep, running down to Brendan's Creek and the opening of the, to the opening into the sea on the east side. But perhaps at one time it was, I suspect it would have been a much more working site. Here the, before I actually reach the loch in itself, it widens into a pool that I don't, I don't really remember that I'm going to go round. And under that hill on which I was standing, the dog's still barking fiercely. On the far side, I really I saw, as I was coming down, I saw the pair of mutes, mute swans preening themselves on the shore. There were there was a family here when I arrived coming back, and I waited a little bit so that I rec- could record my entrance into the into the beginning of the nature reserve, which is what it is, um, in as much. In as close to silence as was possible. And there, as I come down towards the loch, I can get a view of the island of Scarba. Wreathed in mist today, we've had two most exquisite days, um, and really extraordinarily warm for the time of year. It seems as though we have jumped straight from a long and hard winter for once, into just so quickly into the beginnings of, of spring. I'm now standing a few yards from the Lochen and I'm looking over at the the swans who are now that are now out on the on the water. Ah, the pair of them. One or two ducks as well whose sounds the sounds of their voices may be picked up too by the recorder. And it's a, and I see too where the high tide of it was, realise that the water has receded a great deal from its winter heights. But there's not, to my sadness, not as much as I thought I might find. But this is the start of my journey, because I can't, I don't really have the confidence to begin recording in the wood. I suspect that I will have to keep my wits about me as far as moving is concerned Um, to try not to get stabbed by low branches. I have been into the first yards of it before, which is why a little knowledge is, in this instance, a valuable thing. I'm just at this moment coming over a little... I wonder if this too was constructed at the time... In the nineteenth century in the Industrial Revolution, when they created this little salmon salmon farm, coming over a little bridge that was created must have been created, I suspect, for it, and looking down the channel towards Brendan's Creek, and it's a most beautiful just a most beautiful sight. And there well a pair of hooper swans passing right over, circling round the loch, and they are coming down into it. No, they thought better of it. They circled again, and the soughing of those wings. What a wonderful sound. There they come round the periphery of the loch again, heads stretched out, into the wind, circling yet again, and now, and now, coming into land. No? Yes, finally. After three laps of honour, wonderful trailing of feet. And the mutes, this is very interesting, the mutes are going over towards them. Instead of leaving them and going in a different direction they have—they are going over towards them. And I wonder if this is... I have seen mutes at times chasing off other birds. We know how fierce they can be. Yeah, they are charging over towards the hoopers at quite a speed. The hoopers unperturbed at the moment. And enjoying the south end of the loch. The mutes heading for them as fast as they can. Beautiful heads of the Hoopers extended, the pair together, the mutes not get. And there, the Hoopers have been scared off by them. Heads stretched out, and they have left. Well, that beautiful pair of mutes, not quite so sinking a little in my estimation, and that seems an appropriate place to leave the wood in the day with, uh, and in a way I have found my story. I, I found, I didn't know what I was going to come to find, and well, at least I found the hoopers there. There, the male, perhaps, male of the mutes driving across the water. The power, the power of those wings, just extraordinary. So in a sense, I found my story, although I had no idea what it was that I was destined to find. The Glen. Always we went there. Once winter had slid into the rivers and the skies were beginning to break with blue, We drove high above the town, I sat in the back, seeing the peaks still robed in their shields of white. The whole way there, the day veering between shadow and brilliance, a young child playing Tig with the light. When we got to the glen in the end, and thudded shut the doors, stood in the wind's tug and ruffle, nothing but hauntings of curlews, the dip and swivel of peeweets, the air won constant song. And the loch lying strummed by the wind broached like a gem in the moor, a blue beyond all belief. We walked, seeing nothing, just listening. And I knew even then this was not nowhere, but rather the middle of everywhere.
2: What a lovely way to finish with a poem from Kenneth there which sort of sums up the experience we've just had being taken through the wilds of his home island the Isle of Seal in early spring and I should say Kenneth did go quite a while it's quite a while back that Kenneth did that walk and um, gosh we've had so many exciting things to include in this season so we've got round to Kenneth and it's been an absolute delight to go a bit further afield. So Talking of going further afield (laughs) in the podcast studio this week, I have my wonderful friends, Jack and Hannah, without whom this podcast would be, uh, wouldn't exist. So lovely to see you both. Hello. 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 What did you make of Kenneth's adventure in the Hazelwoods and along the lochs of his home isle?
3: He's so calming. I found myself feeling really rested after listening to him. Got such a lovely way with words, soft, calm. But I was a bit worried about his adventure in the wood after he was recording. Do we know that he got out alive?
2: Well, I haven't heard from him since. So, no, no, <laughs> no. I, well, no, I have, I have, I have. He, he <laughs> safely made it back. But yes, he was quite um, quite worried about going into the depths of that wild yeah. wild wood and losing losing his, uh, losing, losing an eye or something. It was, yeah, like likewise. That's a lovely thing to say. Uh, yes, I agree. Very calming. Though there was one thing that disturbed me, <laughs> sent a little shiver up my spine. It was the stuff about ticks. Did you, what did you think? I was sort of, I mean, I was wondering, should we include such horrors? But they are part of our <laughs> wild, wild one.
3: They are important, even if they are awful. I've never had one, personally. Have you?
2: Oh, I have, yes, I have. I've, um, yeah, I had some wild wildlife adventures with ticks. I had a brilliant day once in my favourite place, which I'll bore you about again. Martin Down, and in, in, uh, and I walked around with shorts all day, got sunburnt, went back to the campsite, went for a shower, and realised I was being eaten by these horrible little creatures. And uh, yeah, it was a job removing them all. But uh, and then it made me slightly more reluctant to go wandering in the wild grasses and orchids orchid meadows of this fantastic place. So it was long bit. And I pretty much don't wear shorts when wildlifeing. from now on. I, I always wear long trousers now, thick socks, long trousers, even in the hottest weather. You know, light walking trousers, but... And ticks can still sneak in and out, sneak up your trousers, but they find it a lot harder. <laughs> There's less to hang on to. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but apart from ticks and midges... Do you have a particular uh, a critter or creature that you don't like to find on a wildlife ramble, Hannah or Jack?
3: I find um, walking through fields of livestock quite unsettling. I'm okay with sheep, but horses and cows stress me out. So if it's a um, like a right-of-way through a field and it's got cows in it, then I will try to avoid it as best I can. I'm not into animals. I don't think I could wrestle.
2: <laughs> that's yeah. That's a really good way of, um, of 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 weighing up your options. Could I could yeah. I wrestle them into submission? I mean, I, I'm not
3: sheep. Fine. Yeah, can handle a sheep.
2: Could you tackle a badger? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, 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 definitely, I, I'd put money on you over a badger, and I mean that, <laughs> I, know, I mean that in the, in the sweetest possible way. You. But uh, you're not alone worrying about large animals. I think it's a, we get letters to the magazine a lot about, particularly when people are out walking more in spring and summer, and they encounter fields of, quite often, adult uh, cows with new young, and they can be quite protective. People do get trampled and killed each year. Mostly, actually, the people most in danger are vets because they have to deal with these large animals up close. But yeah, it does happen. I tend to avoid those fields where there's, you can, it's really, it's very difficult to give really hard advice on it. And I'm, I'm not that in that position. But what we do say to people is, you know, if you're walking with dogs, that can be a real trigger for livestock and then what the animals are much more they're they're sort of innately afraid of wolves dogs are wolves to them so that can be that can be much more dangerous I've only had one incident and i walk always walk through fields of livestock but I've only had one incident in the last few years and that was quite frightening but I had my dog with me and it I beat a, a measured but hasty retreat and got over a stile but I could feel the animals breathing almost down the back of my neck. And they they were just, I think they were just, I wouldn't like to say, they weren't friendly, but they weren't galloping and trampling. Um, it was an, uh, possibly a narrow miss. So I think always be wary. Um, always try and take a detour around. Always look for an escape route. If you do have an encounter and you're with a dog, let the dog go. With cows. Because they will be more worried about the dog and then you can make your break free and the dog can look after itself. The sheep, well, always keep the dog in the lead.
1: (laughs) I think with with cows, I've always found they're quite, they're almost dog-like in that they're just very curious about what's going on. So I think even if they haven't got young, I think when they've got young, they're a bit more protective. But when they're just out and about, I think sometimes they're quite curious. So if you're doing something... They'll just wander over to see what you're doing and just are interested. So I think sometimes where people have heard of them coming up to you because they're protective over their young, I think sometimes when they are just being inquisitive and just are coming over to say hello, sometimes I think that can put people on a bit on bit on edge because they're thinking, oh no, this is this is all going wrong. Cause I know like I've done a shoot before that was in a big open field that had some cows in. And the amount of times they were just coming over just to be like, oh, what are you recording over here then? And, <laughs> <laughs> I think that they're, they're just interested to to see what you're up to. And I think sometimes they are kind of those gentle giants that they will just wander over, just want to say hello, give me a little pat on the head and they're, they're all right. Really good
2: point. <laughs> yeah. it, it's quite boring probably just standing in a field eating grass all day. So quite, uh, you know, and, and, and particularly Jack Bateman's in the field once the word gets out to the, the whole herd. <laughs> Then, um, then then yeah, then big in the cow
1: community <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> a pin up amongst uh, amongst Britain's cattle but um yeah the the, the, the curiosity thing is 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 uh, is big and they will follow you across the field um but most of the time they'll sit and not not do much but it, yeah it's unsettling big animals and they they can be dangerous so always super cautious i think is is the um i did have a i did have a, a disconcerting encounter with some sheep this spring and I had my dog Idris and we were walking he was on very close lead walking through a field where there were lots of lambs honestly the entire flock started talking to each other making an enormous cacophony of barring noises of varying degrees of aggression and they surrounded us and they were buffeting my back all the way till we climbed out of the field and I it's the first time I've ever, ever thought goodness me if the sheep really got their act together we we could be in trouble <laughs> but it was it was you know they were being really protective and because they had young they were much more they were emboldened and kind of the word went out and they uh, they gathered their forces and repelled the enemy so we were well we were well, we were well defeated Idris and I um, rightly so rightly so so that's all I have to say about aggressive sheep for the week, but maybe over the summer we'll have more more of these stories to tell. However, back to spring, and we have been sent in a sound of the week, and I think Jack, you have it there. From aggressive sheep to sound of
1: the week, uh, <laughs> we've got our <laughs> we've got this week's clip is from our podcast friend Lucy Pendrick. She's been down on the Somerset marshes uh, looking for wild sounds. She's found something really special. It's the call of common cranes at dawn. I think we should give it a listen.
3: That's like an, a miniature elephant.
2: A miniature elephant. That's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, I was trying to work out. It's so eerie, bugling. I think people call it, but I think better it's the sound of a of a of, a, of an elephant in the Somerset Levels. Very,
3: very, very tiny, it's tiny, tiny elephant.
2: elephants, like the size of a what, like badger.
3: <laughs> no, it's smaller than that. Like the size of your thumbnail.
2: They, that's a really lovely. I've never heard calling cranes anywhere. And Lucy recorded that as part of a wider part in fact, that was a little addition that she did. She was recorded a dawn chorus for us for later in this series, so a cacophony of wonderful birds in her local wood and then because she was up so early, she thought she'd just do some recording a little bit further further afield. Wow, lucky her that's brilliant baby elephants great, so that's our sound of the week um. Please, listeners, do send in more of these sounds. There's so much going on in the countryside right now. And we love to hear them because, you know, we, we are still a little bit stuck in our own localities. Send us whatever you've... Just beautiful bird song, sounds of waterfalls, who knows. And you can send them to me at editor at countryfile.com. And please also do send any thoughts, reviews, comments on the podcast the podcast we love to hear them and we will read them out you may even get them published in the print magazine too so send those also to editor at countryfile.com and lastly do leave some reviews and feedback on whatever podcast provider you use positive feedback is really we love that um <laughs> and negative stuff well you yeah, know it can be quite entertaining but we, that
3: could be fun too but
2: we we you know be honest but we we, we hope you, we hope you like it but before we go, I do have a I do have a countryside joke. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Uh, sorry. Um, anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give I'm gonna give it a go, and we'll see. Whether... <laughs> All right. So I don't know if I'm ready. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I thought you were born
2: ready. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sorry. I am born ready. <laughs> so there's a horse. It's it's another goes into a bar joke, but a horse comes out of a veterinary hospital. Or hospital maybe, and um, it's <laughs> oh, he's got he's got a um.
3: Don't peak too soon. Oh, all
2: right, all right. I thought that was just an obvious one to to throw in. <laughs> anyway, he's got a drip in his front forelock, foreleg. Uh, st- yeah, he's still got the drip in. Anyway, he goes across the road to the pub. Fortunately, there's a pub over the road, and it, so the horse walks into the bar, and the barman doesn't say why the long face. Well, he could have done, but in this sense, he doesn't say that. He says, what we have? And the horse says, I'll have a treble whiskey, please. And so the barman pours him this drink and the horse knocks it back in one go. And the barman says, well, he needed that. And the horse says, I shouldn't have had that with what I've got. And the barman says, what have you got? And the horse says, 10 pence. Moving swiftly on. (laughs) Moving swiftly on. Um, Thank you very much for listening to the podcast this week. um, Join us again. (laughs) I think it's only just (laughs) Anyway, thank you very much for listening to the podcast this week. I will probably not do any jokes in future, but um, do join us next week when we head back to listen to the Dawn Chorus with lovely Lucy. But for now, it's goodbye from me and from the team.